Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode two of Coast to Coast, which is what we have decided on in terms of this podcast name, because Bibi and I, just for context, live on opposite coasts of the country. So I am in New York and she is in California, specifically Mountain View. So to kick us off for a second episode, we figured we would actually talk about what it's like to live in both coasts, um, because both of us have actually spent time in cities across California as well as the East Coast. And uh, we could share a little bit more about that because I know a lot of people, especially um, people looking for jobs these days, are looking at a potential move to one or the other. And we can give sort of unfiltered thoughts on both, both the pros and the cons. Right. And, you know, in light of COVID, if you decide that you want to leave both coasts and maybe move to somewhere else in the country, we can also give some thoughts around that. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a, that's a good point. We can talk about sort of our expectations for the new normal for the next year or so as uh, COVID still is an issue. I figured maybe we start with the West Coast, and then we go to New York, and then we could in also talk about like where we're from and where we've lived in. Okay, sounds great. So I moved to California about a year and a half ago at this point. Prior to that, I lived basically over a decade on the East Coast, and um, specifically in New York. I spent seven years um, on and off, not in the same stretch. But yeah, three years right before I moved out here, I was in New York. Prior to that, I um, also lived in Philadelphia and um, Boston. Originally, though, I was from the Great North, <laughs> um, from um, Canada, Vancouver, Canada. So oh, nice. definitely a West Coast transplant. <laughs> and, um, you know, that now is back to, the, I guess, somewhat closer to the home base. Let me tell you, it's been definitely a culture shock coming back to the West Coast. And I, I guess, you know, you think about the years you spend between college and like your first couple of years of your professional career as some of the more formative years. And, and that's where I really spent uh, my East Coast years. Mm, interesting. So I actually grew up in Sacramento, California, which I would say is very, very different from the Bay Area. Um, I feel like my pet peeve is when people who are not from California just associate all of California with like LA or the Bay Area and they think like the whole state is like that. Sacramento is not like that. Sacramento <laughs> is actually, if you look at just in every possible way, if you look at the landscape, if you look at the voting, you know, the way people vote there, um, you will find it's actually much more akin to the Midwest than to anywhere basically that you would typically associate with California. So for instance, I have Pretty no idea, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the county I'm from, like, I mean, you you can look at voting records. It's like a lot of those counties typically will vote red, and it's not super diverse. So, uh, you know, it's very suburban. It's super spread out. Um, the population is, like, more or less predominantly white. And so it's, it's actually interesting to grow up there because um, I feel like I kind of got – uh, an experience that isn't too different from like, you know, other like the middle parts of the country or like just general suburban life. So I grew up there. I went to school, though, actually, I went to Berkeley, very large school and in the Bay Area. So I think that was like the first time I actually spent an extended time in the Bay Area. And I think being there as a student and especially Berkeley versus like some other parts, like versus the city itself is also a little bit different. And so I can share a little bit about that. Uh, and then I came to the East Coast actually once I was an adult, like after I'd worked a few years, I went for my MBA and then I stayed in New York after. And I've been in New York now for the past five years, not currently as I'm like oh, wow. located. Yeah. So it's it's been a while. I hadn't realized that you were um, in New York for five years at this point. Yeah, I, I guess it's because I, I know you're from this job and it's been shorter than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I so it's I feel yeah. like people who are from New York, whenever I talk to them, they're like, oh, I've lived here my whole life. And you like still don't really understand New York after a few years. But I, I feel like you get a decent sense, albeit like my experience is purely in Manhattan. So it's I guess when I say New York, I specifically mean living in the city. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think there's definitely a time and place for New York for many people. I feel like it's one of those cities that many people have lived in at some point in their lives. And whether or not they decide to settle down, there's always a piece of New York and everyone who's spent time there. One of my friends actually, and, and I think this is really funny, one of my friends who moved away from business school said, New York really ruins it for you. Because, you know, when you live there, you're like, 
oh, like the subway stinks or like the summers are so humid and hot and you have all these complaints, right? Like trash day on Wednesdays when you just see the streets lined with trash bags (laughs) in the summer. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Right. And then you hate it, but like you leave and you're like, well, how come things close at like eight o'clock and I can't get food from like 80 different options? (laughs) But then a five block radius. No, that's true. Why can't I just go to a museum? It's really unparalleled. And actually, I think that'd be interesting to hear about like the Bay Area specifically, like in the suburban parts, like whether that's still an issue. Because I feel like for Sacramento, certainly it's, yeah, it's like you don't have any of this. Like stuff is closed, everything's spread out. You have to have a car. I mean, I think that's true for most of Mm -hmm. California, actually, unless you're in San Francisco. So I don't know, maybe we could talk about the West Coast first. So I guess just starting with like your time in um, the Bay Area and how it's been since you've been yeah. there in last year. Well, just a little bit of context. I think when people heard that I was moving to California and like, it's funny because I, I keep saying California, you're right. I, I moved to the Bay Area and specifically I moved to Mountain View, which <laughs> is yeah. a very big difference. New York City and I think everyone who knew me at all like even a little bit was absolutely shocked that we made this move and clearly Janet I didn't have the foresight to talk to someone who knew what I was getting myself into um, before I did this move it's definitely a big change so my impression of the North, Northern California San Francisco Bay Area is just like I don't know why I thought this way, but I just thought everything was really close together. I Mm -hmm. used to come here to visit quite a bit a few years after I graduated from college. And, um, you know, I was mostly in San Francisco. And I I just remember on weekends, we'd drive out to like Napa or like take trips to Point Reyes. And it didn't feel very far. So I figured if nature and all these different things could be so close to San Francisco, how far could your mountain view be from San Francisco proper? I was very wrong. Like it definitely is very different. The suburban life is um, probably more akin to what you would think about upstate like Westchester. <laughs> so like I basically moved myself to the Mountain View, which is like the California NorCal equivalent of Westchester uh, before I have kids and <laughs> before I even had a dog when I moved here. So that was a big culture shock. It's very different and it's really nice. I would say like you know, the things that I just complain about in New York, which I like look back on very endearingly in my rose colored glasses, you definitely don't have that. There's a lot of space, a lot of greenery. Um, you, you feel a lot more open, but you also, like you said, Janet, like you don't have that many options. I think from like, just like a convenience perspective, we're so, you know, on the coast and there's a lot of diversity of options, but it just isn't the same. You definitely don't have that many options after 9 p.m. on any given day, (laughs) which is something to get used to. That being said, people move here because the schools are great and you definitely get more space. And during COVID, frankly, it's been really nice to not feel like you're stuck in like a tiny little box, right? Which is what a lot of Manhattan living seems like. So even though you're much closer to good, you know, hiking, skiing, wine country and all that stuff from San Francisco and you are from New York to sort of some of those places, you have a really big commute culture around here. So you have lots of people living in the suburbs or doing the reverse commute from San Francisco proper to the suburbs for their jobs. And as a result of that, the traffic is just insane to go and from where I am to the city. And it becomes like kind of um, an act of Congress to try to go to a city at all. <laughs> I Not feel like mention, also the you know, traffic some, got yeah. worse in like the last, I want to say like five years, really like the last five to like seven years or so, like since the last recession, I think is when all of these tech firms, right, like started to move in and like build out and become like the next big economy in Silicon Valley. And I think that's when commuting was really bad because actually Back in 2010, 2010 to 2011, I was in Seattle, actually, but I did most of my work projects. I was in consulting in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And 
at that time, honestly, the commute was not that bad because I had to drive to the Bay Area because we had a client in Redwood City. Basically, mm-hmm. I, I would stay in a hotel in San Francisco and then have to drive out there. And it really was not an issue, like generally some traffic, but very light. And now I feel like if you try to make the same drive, it's two hours plus back then it definitely wouldn't have been even yeah. in, like an hour. That yeah. is crazy. I, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't imagine a world where like, you don't have to really think about traffic. I mean, now we, we don't because no one's going to the office. As a result of COVID. <laughs> but that congestion is a real thing. And I think it does kind of, from my perspective, I've seen a lot of congestion growing up. And this is probably by far the worst in terms of just like, it's a negative contributor to your quality of life for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that's something that I don't love about living in a big city generally, because even New York has like a Mm -hmm. a similar issues as we will discuss once we get to that point. But I I feel like with a big city or just like any populated area, you're going to get so much traffic, especially if you're living in the outskirts and then you're like trying to go in for anything. I know this is Mm -hmm. true for Sacramento, too, because a lot of people actually live around the suburbs and then drive into Sacramento, but it's not nearly as bad as it is for like San Francisco or the Bay Area. Is Sacramento the capital of California? It is. <laughs> no, it's good. Most people uh, do not probably actually are not aware of that because they just assume it's like San Francisco, LA. <laughs> it is a much smaller and less, uh, you know, if I can say having being from there, like it's, it's a bit less interesting than um, both LA and um, San Francisco. Like there just aren't that many jobs except for the government there. So like if you're trying to work there, it's, it's actually fairly tough because there's not, there's not really a big financial services or like other industry that you can like find a role with. So that's why it tends to be like also an older population. I think that, or like a more settled older um, population versus mm-hmm. like, you know, if you were to compare like places with the big financial services and like tech jobs, which attract like younger people, which are like, yeah, San Francisco and um, New York. Definitely. But, you know, I, I think you bring up a really good point about big cities and like, I think the other tax you pay around big cities, aside from the tax, which we know is notoriously high in both states, um, mm-hmm. is the rent that you have, you have to contend with, right? I, I oh, like God, the, the rent. I know. Jobs, That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely um, a huge negative for both San Francisco or Bay Area specifically and New York. Yes. And that's the thing, like you were saying, how the Bay Area has changed in in the context of congestion. I I would say that is another big mover, too. Like it was one of those indicators where New York was tracking as the highest in the country for many, many years. And then San Francisco since the last recession and the entire surrounding area has just exploded. And now I I think it's even higher than New York. um, If you look at the um, like for like comparisons for one or two bedroom apartments in the area. Mm hmm. That's what I've heard. Which I have a lot of friends out there. Ben- and it's, yeah, like give them a range, actually. Like how how much is it to rent a like one bed um, versus a, you know, two bed in Mountain View? Well, I think um, in right. San Francisco proper is like 4,000 at least for a one bed. Um, oh, my God. And close that's- to, I think like five to six. I mean, that's kind of, I think in the South Bay, like where I am, it's lower. But you definitely, if you want the amenities and the newer property, you're paying the same rate. Um, even though you don't have the city, which like to me, it's just absolutely absurd. Like I'm paying the same rent as I was in New York here in Mountain View. And I do get like square footage wise more space, but it's still like a one bedroom, right? So, and um, you don't have the mat or like the MoMA in your backyard. So I'm, right. I, I kind of struggle with what, what I'm paying for. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, um, I feel for that's you. Definitely, that's, yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Plus you need yeah. like a car. And I also think that, there. I mean, I'll, yes. Like even to go to a workout class, right? Like in New York, you could just walk down 10 blocks, whatever, within mm-hmm. t- 10 minutes walking distance, you have like 80 different gyms or studios. If you're into workout classes and here you have to drive or you're just not going to be able to find the kind of classes you want, which is another challenge. Like did you have to budget half an hour to go to Barry's boot camp is a pretty tough proposition to have. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, 
Oh, man, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. I think for comparison for our listeners, I guess um, for New York, I would say right now the rates for a one bed are probably also like four to five thousand. I think six thousand would be like a really, really nice one bed um, four to five. Like it's you probably like a mid luxury type of unit. You could have a three K one as well if you're just willing to sacrifice amenities, which is actually what I did for last year. Like I you know, had no washer dryer in unit and didn't have really any sort of um, public premise or, you know, no gym or anything in the building. And it was also in Hell's Kitchen, which is, I think, just generally a little bit cheaper because it's not in a super desirable area. So anyways, all of those factors you can kind of factor in and you can get somewhere nicer for a little bit less. And then two beds are, yeah, like, I mean, I haven't personally looked, but probably 6K and up. But that's crazy. I actually think San Francisco likely is more expensive than New York now. Yeah. And like, that's just, you know, looking at the rent prices, if you think about home sales, if you start thinking about buying a place or trying to build out your families, you know, New York is very expensive, but you get better transportation to the surrounding areas like New Jersey, Westchester with like, all those, you know, links that you have available compared to San Francisco. And so like, all of a sudden, like the price you have to pay to buy a home here is also, I think, a lot more if you really have to sort of think about how you get from point A to point B. And going back to the original point, congestion, like you have to really think about how much you're willing to put up with from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think people don't realize that when they move to San Francisco as well. I mean, maybe if you live in the city and you're like young and you don't want to live in a house per se, then maybe it's still like a similar experience. But that's it. I've had a lot of coworkers actually that have uh, also like struggled with like living in San Francisco. Like they just say it's not nearly as much stuff to do as New York. It's just as expensive, if not more expensive. And it's also, you know, there's a lot of social issues, obviously. I mean, I'd say both cities suffer from like homelessness, but I think San Francisco might be a little bit worse in that regard, just because of, I guess, the nature like San Francisco is that it's always been like very friendly towards um, homeless folks. And I think the weather is also a lot nicer and more conducive. That's also an issue in New York, though, for sure. So it's not to diminish the problem in New York, but I think it's more concentrated geographically in San Francisco. Yeah, I would say San Francisco is more concentrated. And obviously, I can't speak for San Francisco because I don't live there. But I, I think part of it, too, is just because there's like on a per capita perspective, like there's just a higher, like you said, more concentrated sort of number. And I actually think New York has done a much better job providing social services. Like there are enough beds in homeless shelters in New York for every homeless person in the city. You don't have that in San Francisco. Wow. In addition to that, you also like, I think San Francisco has just been pretty slow to, not to say they're not making efforts. I know that's like number one priority in many ways, but like, I think it's been pretty slow to sort of take the steps necessary to make it from a housing supply perspective more affordable. So like, I think to go into that deeper would to say like the average wage in the Bay Area is just so much higher than elsewhere. It's probably like, I'm looking at some numbers. It's like, I think in San Francisco it's $96,000 per year for mm. Um, the average salary in New York, which is, as we know, a place with tons of jobs, really like exciting opportunities for anyone in all walks of life. The average wage is 57000 So like when you look at those stats, like the contrast between how much you're able to afford and what the housing supply looks like with San Francisco being an earthquake zone, you can't build up means that there are people who wouldn't be homeless in New York who end up on the streets because if you're a school teacher and you teach in Manlo Park, there's not enough supply for you. And, you know, you definitely hear about people who are in like teachers or Uber drivers who live in their cars because it's way too expensive on their wage in this area, which is mostly driven by tech, to be able to afford a place anymore. So I think that's part of the other the other part of the issue as well. That's actually... It makes a lot of sense. I actually hadn't thought of it that way. And I didn't realize the disparity with New York was actually so big. I mean, I guess with Mm -hmm. New York, there is also like, you know, it's when we talk about homelessness, like um, a lot of it is concentrated in the five boroughs. So, you know, you have like Manhattan, but then you also have the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn, et cetera. And so I guess there's more living in Manhattan. Also, um, you don't necessarily have to contend with that as directly. Although, of course, you you get a lot of folks who like um, also spend the night in the shelters and then come to the city to 
basically try to um, get money like during the day, like on the subway systems, etc. Yeah, I think with San Francisco, I, I mean, that's where like, I've read obviously about the tent cities, like not San Francisco itself, but like the Bay Area, like Oakland, I know is a big area for that right now. Um, so I feel like there's more of a, it seems like you have to really fend for yourself kind of, because there's not as many shelters, as you said. Yeah. And I just think like, especially in like some of the more affluent suburban areas, I, I don't think the local governments are very open to building. I, I, I think in general, people yeah. in those areas tend to think more supply means their housing prices will decline, whatever, like without really thinking about the real like economics of like what an incremental like complex would do for the actual supply, which is like under supplied for the demand for this area over the last decade. So I do think that culturally is part of the other sort of driver for why people that you normally wouldn't see on the streets in New York are actually homeless here as well. So it's mm-hmm. all like pretty much like, I'm sorry to go on a little tangent, but I, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot more to be said about sort of, you know, this explosive growth that you've seen in the Bay Area over the last decade, like you mentioned, Janet, and, you know, what, what they're doing to try to keep up and how the infrastructure isn't really keeping up with that level of demand. Yeah, no, I think this is actually really interesting because I personally really am sort of fascinated by the issue of homelessness. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's top of mind because it affects so many of the cities where certainly both of us live. But then, um, you know, it's it's becoming an increasing problem just across the country. So it's I think it's unfortunate that we can't seem to figure out what to do. And like the, the issue just keeps getting worse. And it's likely only going to continue to get worse, especially with COVID, because so many people are, especially now, are being, you know, starting to get kicked out of their rental units, etc. I've heard that of New York. I, I'm sure similar things are going around in, in San Francisco as well. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. And what do you think will happen like post-COVID with some of the tech jobs like moving out of Mountain View? We know Facebook, you know, obviously made that declaration to its employee base. I'm skeptical how many people are actually going to take up the offer and like go permanently work in, you know, whatever their hometowns versus the Bay Area. So curious for your thoughts. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I think like just based on my experience living in the verbs, um, I, I feel like it's very family friendly here and people who already live here with families are less likely to to want to leave if they're already in a tech kind of job because, you know, it's it's a way of life for them and it's easy to you know have that sort of network and community around you that you've built over the years here what i think it does open a door for is having this global sort of filter or funnel for talent for facebook over the longer term i think what that means is more so like instead of hiring only from you know the u.s technical not technical but like u.s schools were really um you know, engineering focused, you, you now have the ability to hire from a University of Warsaw kind of graduate right away as like a full time, you know, sort of onshore, quote unquote, I don't know what the right word for it is, but like, it will be like someone that isn't just going to be working on a different time zone to help support some things, they could do the actual work too. So I think like, it's going to be a transition that happens over much longer time, probably over the course of the next 10 years. But yeah, I I think what that'll do is probably lessen the sort of pressure on this like sort of inflow of people into the area, because then you're able to start to see fewer and fewer people being brought into the area specifically to live, but more, more remote workers who are working for these growing big tech companies around the world who come here maybe once or twice a year for company offsites and whatnot. And that for me, I think from my perspective, I think that's a really good thing for the entire area and for the companies and just overall, because, you know, I don't know that so many people are actually going to leave permanently after COVID from the area, people who already live here. But I, I do think that not having that growth hinge on this infrastructure that's already sort of overwhelmed in the next decade will be a really good thing for the area to be able to sort of take a breath and really reorganize around what they can be doing a little differently to support this growing population. Mm-hmm. That's so, that's such a good perspective. I completely agree. I mean, I didn't even think of that, like the impact on the future is really what matters. Um, And then, yeah, hopefully the local governments can start to get their, you know, stuff together so they can finally start to, you know, address some of these existing (laughs) issues. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) 
no, this is so helpful. I mean, and I think, no. well, you've already seen like rent prices, I think, be affected negatively, though. But your mm-hmm. is your suspicion that it'll come yes. back, though? Like, yeah, I think for the next year, like, as you know, our company said July 2021 and Facebook has said something similar. And to be honest, I think the, the, the companies that say you can permanently work from home, it, it's a few companies. It's not the majority of the companies that people are following. And as you and I are, you know, at this point, like six months, I mean, we're a few months in the working from home thing. I, I mean, I think we do see the benefit of having an office as well. So I, I do think like, while people are probably going to be working from home two or three days a week going forward, it's not like everyone's going to want to be home all the time, especially when you think about parents who have kids, you know, they have to sort of think about childcare and stuff like that. So I guess my point is like, in the short term, you do see sort of the more fluid employees, like people who are uh, a few years out of college without like established sort of roots here. Rent for Mountain View's dropped like 15% <laughs> since the COVID pandemic hit. And San Francisco, I think is negative 10%. You definitely see that. But I don't think that's going to be a permanent change. I think it's going to be a near term to medium term shift. I think by 2022, people are going to have to start coming back to the area as we go back to sort of life as, you know, life as more normal in the post pandemic era. So I, I think over that time, you'll see the rent adjust back up again as demand builds up. That's kind of how mm-hmm. I think. I, I don't think that there's going to be the sort of permanent move to, you know, Texas or Arizona more so than what's already happening in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, I feel the same as well. And I it's feel actually, like... Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think it's actually really interesting because if you look at sort of like the population inflow and outflow of these two cities, San Francisco and New York, it's been net outflows for the last couple of years. It was already happening before COVID. And yeah, people do move from the Bay Area or New York to you know Texas or um, Florida or Arizona. Um, where there's better tax sort of implications for living there. But that's been offset, right? Like specifically in case of like Northern California, the biggest inflow of populations, I was really surprised when I when I saw this. Can you guess where it's coming from? The inflow, like where people are going now? Are people coming into SF from? Oh, I see. Um, I would have thought the Midwest. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Um, I mean, was because of the schools there? Mean, like versus the coast because I feel like well oh I see yeah because a lot of people are like like a lot of students at least right like I feel like people have this yeah. dream to move out west or east right um from like the their midwestern yeah. like or the, like the middle of the country so that's why I would get yeah. that yeah and I think I would have thought something similar except it's all international so like basically the net uh, outflow from the Bay Area has been offset mostly by international inflows. And, you know, I think you see that not like just in terms of like tech talent from like some of the more like, you know, internationally tech oriented places. Like I, I see a lot of like Europeans in the Bay Area because that's where they can have a good job with career prospects, too. So I feel like mm-hmm. you definitely see a lot of that coming to the Bay Area, too. Oh, that's so true. That's yeah, because also like his, I think tech companies certainly, but bigger companies generally are pretty open about like visa requirements, right? Like they are just like like being willing to <laughs> uh, being willing to help international folks that are like uh, whatever. What am I saying? Like help them apply for the visa and like get the workers just like mainly for their skills, right? Kind of regardless of that process. Obviously, it's gotten a lot harder, and I know like some of the restrictions even this year have challenged our fellow international coworkers. I'm interested to see how that might change the inflow as well. Because also I feel like with con- other countries seeing how the U.S. has handled COVID like very poorly, like I don't know if there's going to be like a stigma against like coming and working in the U.S. now. Because certainly I feel like Asian countries probably feel that. So that's a really good point. I, I think it's definitely um, going to be interesting to see how we're perceived on the international stage, you know, yeah. despite sort of having the, the right opportunities, are people still going to be as attracted to it for other reasons, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, and then I guess this is less relevant to now, but I was going to, I can talk quickly about like what it was like as a student in the Bay Area, since I did live in Berkeley for four years while I was there. So I would say I 
I never personally had an interest in staying in the Bay Area, although a lot of my classmates, I'd say the bulk of people who go to school in Berkeley, certainly, um, that I know stayed in the Bay Area. I feel like a lot of them also grew up there. So you get a lot of students from like Cupertino and from like, you know, just the local area, since of course, it just makes sense since it's an in-state school. A lot of residents from California would just try to go. And I, I think for me, the Bay Area was never that appealing because I feel like it's much smaller in terms of, you know, San Francisco, the city is just so much smaller than New York City. So there's like much less to do. And I also feel like the weather is very like relatively overrated, although having lived in New York now for five years, like it's it's definitely preferable to New York. But it's very, very like gray and rainy, Um, certainly on the East Bay side. I think when you get to like Palo Alto and Mountain View, you tend to have much more like sunny days and clear weather. But because of like the mountain ranges are like if you live in San Francisco, or if you live in the East Bay, like uh, Berkeley, Oakland, it tends to be really cloudy and really gray, not unlike Seattle, which is another city I lived in. Um, so it's, it was always a little depressing for me. Um, and that was like one reason why I didn't personally really enjoy um, yeah, my time in the Bay Area. Yeah, no, I think that's so interesting because I was going to say, I'm like, the microclimate does not affect us here. I, I guess the other thing, though, you bring up a good point about like things, you know, beyond our control again. And the fires is definitely a thing especially with climate change being more and more tangible every year, right? I mean, we're now at week three, I think, of the fire, like weekend three, and Mm -hmm. literally the air quality is still really bad. This is probably going to be something here to stay for the foreseeable future, right? Every year, I think, in the last couple of years, it's gotten worse and worse, but like in every year, we're going to have a lot of fires. And because of the fires, you're going to be limited in what you can do outdoors, which is, I think, a big draw for many people coming to California. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be spending time outdoors, you want to go hiking, biking, whatever. And you, you can't do that if it's 150 in terms of like air pollution index with particular matters from the fires. <laughs> as that usually. Is so so um, that's another consideration. Yeah, I mean, my family is in Sacramento still, and it's all, oh my gosh, it's been such an issue. And Sacramento, again, the reason I sort of clarify the difference between Sacramento and um, the rest of, I guess, the coastal areas of California is the weather (laughs) there is, it's like Death Valley, actually. So it's it's super, super dry. We probably get like a few inches of rain a year, right? And it's, yeah, and then during the summer, like I was checking the weather the other day, it gets up to 109 during the day, just like throughout the day. And it's like dry heat. So if you were to go outside, I mean, you probably could not stay out there for longer than like probably 20 minutes without starting to become dehydrated. Um, It was never surprising to me that, I mean, the fires, certainly the frequency of them, I think has caught people by surprise, but like water and drought was always like an issue in that part. And actually a lot of California does suffer from it. I think the Bay Area, forget why, but for whatever reason, there there's less of a water issue there, like certainly in Berkeley and um, East Bay again, but for the rest of California, of course, it's desert like state basically. Um, and it's yeah, funny because it's like the opposite problem yeah. in New York with climate change or the East Coast more broadly, right? Which is like, there's too much water <laughs> on this side, right? And so we get hurricanes, we get floods. And when you buy a house, right, you have to really think carefully about like, is it in a flood zone, especially in Manhattan? I know a lot of people in New York lost power during the last storm. Um, like people were without power for oh, like wow. a week. Yeah, because Con Ed had the second most number of like yeah. houses disconnected from the grid like ever um, in that area from this past storm. So it's it's becoming a problem. I certainly I would no not idea. be comfortable owning a place. Um, so a lot of our coworkers, right, like have places in New Jersey. And of course, the part that you would likely live in if you were to work in Manhattan is right up against the coast, right? So like on the east side of New Jersey, I guess. And then, um, you know, that's where you could take the path over. And the problem is that entire area is a flood zone, like a severe flood zone. And so I personally would Mm. opt out of like, purchasing sort of long term home um, in that area, just because I think it's it's only going to get worse. Definitely. I, I do remember being in New York when Hurricane Sandy hit in 2012, oh, wow. 2012, I think. And yeah, it was such a surreal experience, right? Like, I feel like you don't really, I guess, I don't know, like how this compares to COVID anymore. But like, it, it was definitely one of those things where like, you know, the day after the hurricane had ravaged the city and half the city lost power, you come out and people 
you know, we're walking on the streets, but like no traffic lights, you know, cars didn't know when to go. And the cell towers were overloaded because everyone's trying to get in touch with each other. And people who didn't have floors to stay on in their friends' places north of power, which is what we call NOPO at the time, and SOPO, South Power, <laughs> had to like go to the gyms. So you go to an Equinox and there are like 80 people showering with like all these phones plugged into every single outlet you could see. And it was definitely, I, I just remember being in my early 20s going through that. It really kind of, I, I think it really gave me a perspective on how little we are like as humans against mother nature. So yeah, to your point, I guess the coastal cities um, in general have their own sort of natural uh, disasters to, to sort of contend with. Though I don't know how, like, you know, it's probably true for anywhere in the world, probably. I'm sure you have like tornadoes in the, you know, Midwest or the, you know, whatever areas. And um, yeah, Texas had um, tornado risk, actually, which I've lived in Texas. So it was always like in school, you would like prep drills for in case a tornado came so yeah no it's true everywhere does have its oh, um, wow. issues and yeah and unfortunately with climate change it does seem like like almost every part of the country is facing these in different ways so it's unfortunate but i do think the coasts are where you're starting to see some of it first and i think um More vulnerable yeah exactly mm-hmm. just because we are like very ejected to kind of the wind patterns and like yeah in the case of new york you're right next to water so of course if something happens um then that directly impacts a lot of people who are currently uh, have houses um below the flood zone area so so jenna outside of like natural disasters how, how have you found new york since moving there from um being on the west coast for so many years yeah and this is actually a reason why i wanted to talk about this today because i feel like my experience in New York. I've learned a lot from the last five years and it has shifted. And I think a lot of people who move to New York now, right? Like I think that there's this sort of, I guess like ignorance to it. Like people, when they first move, it's usually because you think it's going to be like such a cool experience. Um, it's often people who are very young who are making moves. So like people in their twenties to like early thirties. Um, and it's a lot of, um, certainly in Manhattan, I think it's, I think the majority of people come from places other than New York. Um, you get a few locals, of course, but vast majority of people that you interact with and that you see day to day are not actually from the city itself and um, have just come here for temporarily, you know, for a job or whatever. So I think for me, like, I don't want to say New York is overrated, but I think that after five years anywhere, you do start to, you you have a good sense for, you know, what it's like to live there. You have a sense of like its flaws as well as its pros. And I feel like for me, like the magic of New York really has kind of faded with time, unfortunately. And I think that's honestly not like abnormal. I think most people feel that. Like the first two years, I think, you know, you really are swept in by the environment because it is such an exciting city because there's so many people. There's really nowhere else, certainly in the U.S., where you can find the level of things to do and just the amount of history and just the the great amount of like diversity and restaurants. Like it's very, very unlike, you know, anywhere else you could live in. Certainly even like San Francisco can't really hold up to the amount of things you can find in New York problem is like you do start to see some of the flaws and as you think about living long term in New York I think that becomes more apparent like after a few years and I'd be curious for like what your impressions were too actually like uh, what because you lived there for several years before Mountain View right and so how how did you think no I 100% agree with you I, I think New York is definitely one of those revolving door cities it's super exciting for new grads coming out of college and, you know, grad school programs. But as people sort of start thinking about family formation, um, not many end up staying, right? Like there could be anything from like moving up to New York suburban areas in the tri-state area or to a different state altogether. I definitely Mm -hmm. seen both sides of that among a lot of my friends. Yeah, to your point, I think it is definitely, I, I recommend spending time in New York when you're young, just so you can experience it and see it for what it is. I think you know, whoever is considering it will be the final decision maker on whether or not they want to be there long term. But to your point, I, I do think it's a very challenging place to be over the long term when you think about sort of just like what you have to contend with on a day to day basis. You know, there's a lot of cool things to do in New York, but you also have to, with any population size, 
of that kind of metropolitan city, you really have to contend with like long lines everywhere. And it just, you really do feel like you're going to battle no matter what you do, right? Like getting on the subway, going to get like a coffee (laughs) or like, you know, walking on the sidewalk, you need to really move fast, right? Like I was that person who was so frustrated with tourists on Fifth Avenue, especially during the holiday season, because it's just like, I don't know what they're looking at in the sky, but they're always <laughs> looking somewhere and they're walking way too slowly for the New York pace of life. <laughs> so oh my gosh, you definitely yeah. do have all of those things. That was one of my top yeah. cons. I started writing a cons list recently <laughs> on New York. I know this is, <laughs> and I'm not trying to hate on it. Like I know plenty of city people <laughs> love the city. People who are from New York will like never live anywhere else. But like, I think this is a realistic consideration that people should have when they like go there or like because I think unfortunately in pop culture at least it's been glossed over so much just in terms of what it's like to live in New York right like you watch any movie that takes place in New York and you you just see like skylines and sunsets and like everyone somehow has a ton of money and they can like go out to bougie like places and drink wine every night and hang out with their friends and you know that's that's definitely some of that but then you have to contend with like the real realities of the fact that it is an incredibly crowded city like you mentioned anything you do like if you're gonna try to get a dinner spot on a Friday night expect to wait two hours like literally if you don't set a reservation like a month in advance and that was my experience for instance oh yeah for sure several times oh come on Jenna you've been there for five years I know, I know. And it's like, well, it's like sometimes you know you to make to, like, a reservation before you want to, or like, yeah, I've had instances where it's like you just want to be spontaneous. You want to like eat somewhere like in the area, you know, because you just happen to be in the area and you can like, you want to catch up with someone and you cannot do that. You literally, or you have to go to mm. a really terrible and no. overpriced like restaurant because that'll be the only place with like a spot, right? And, And now I think with COVID, obviously, like that has really exposed a lot of the infrastructure problems with the city, which is, you know, it really relied on sort of economies of scale and like the willingness of people to like be crowded and, you know, to do Mm -hmm. anything, because that's why restaurants struggled so much is because their rents have been priced to a point where they cannot sustain themselves unless they fully pack the room right and that's why you get tables that are like six inches apart like in Mm -hmm. in a normal context and you get like can barely hear hear each other because it's so crowded and it's so like echoey and now it's like I don't really know what frankly Mm -hmm. a lot of these places are going to do and I think it is going to result in the permanent shuttering of a lot of these like boutique businesses especially because it just doesn't make sense at that price level if you cannot expect like a constant yeah mm-hmm. revolving door of people um, to come in and out like every day and you but no that's I also so think... true it's unfortunate because new york was already so competitive from that perspective what do you mean by competitive oh, i was just saying like oh like 50 percent of restaurants close within the first year of operation is some like i don't know if oh, that's, yeah. that's so true but even before covid that's kind of the rate of survival rate of restaurants in new york mm-hmm. so yeah and honestly it it just I mean, you do get a good selection of boutique restaurants. I, I think you actually get a better selection of them in New York than you do actually in other parts of the country because you, know, you go to a suburb and you just see like KFC, Chick-fil-A, whatever, like most frequently. You go to New York and you can actually find a lot of small mm-hmm. like niche restaurants um, specializing in something. The problem is sometimes it does feel like you either become really, really, really hyped up then you're charging absurd prices, you know, because you're known to be trendy and you're in like a good spot, whatever, or you, yeah, and the alternative, you just have to shutter your doors after like a year of business. I personally, I think of five years in the New York restaurant scene and you've, you kind of, you know, it it becomes less of an appeal, I guess, to the city because it's also always overpriced and you just, sometimes, you know, you don't want to spend like $30 for an entree plus like $20 for a drink, you know, for dinner. And not to mention, I think the thing I always struggled with in New York was just the number of hours the average New Yorker works, right? Like everyone works so many more hours, I think, compared to everywhere else. So while you have this amazing city with all these things to offer, you don't get to really enjoy it if you actually live and work there. <laughs> oh, so um, true. So it, I mean, it is definitely an oxymoron. I think both of yeah. us like definitely were like workaholics when we lived there. <laughs> so you still the live there, jobs, by the way. <laughs> I know. I technically still live there. You but still I live feel there, like, by the way. Yeah, I mean, now with you know, obviously not having to be there, I feel like 
it's been such a breather to like just get to stretch out and, you know, have a big place that I'm not paying like 4000 a month for, you know, and actually have like a driveway and a backyard. Like you you can't get that in Manhattan. And it, it's frankly, it's hard to do that anywhere in New York unless you have a lot of money or you go into New Jersey or like, yeah, Westchester or like mm-hmm. upstate, which then per what we were discussing earlier, right, with the commutes in Mountain View, like the commute in New York, if you are not able to live in the city, and frankly, even if you live in the city, like that's always going to be a area of contention. Like I have many coworkers that commuted like two hours each way, either driving or via like two train transfers to get to the office. And that was kind of the daily norm. And I Having spoken to a lot of these coworkers now that we're working from home, like that is like the number one positive is it, which is like pretty obvious because like who wants to spend four hours of their day commuting? But yeah, it's not an option otherwise because definitely. Yeah, because the issue is if you want to have a family and you are not like multimillionaire who top of the whatever of some financial services company, like I feel like it's it's really impossible to sustain a good quality of life without moving out of the city because you are going to be like really cramped. You're going to have very expensive childcare if you're able to access it. And then, of course, you know, this is it's kind of a circle because it's like to sustain your nice place, you have to work. But then yeah, you then you have to pay all these like extra bills on top of that. And then you're not with your kids a lot, which is what I think also breeds the workaholic culture as well as because you you just have to have that in a lot of these jobs that are able to let you like live a nice life um, in the city. Yeah, that is certainly the cycle of things, especially in New York. Yeah. And so that was on my list as well. And I mean, I guess I can just go through my list, actually. (laughs) So I think the other, I think we already touched on two of the big issues. I think the other thing is, um, it's also very like materialistic culture, in my opinion, um, compared to certainly many parts of the country, because there's always the pressure to look good, as well as to, to look the part, whether that's a professional services person or just like a middle class like worker in your job you you feel like a lot of pressure to like have to dress well and have to splurge on like the expensive bags I think this is true for both men and women as well in the city I think um, you get more of like the culture where it's just like encouraged to show off your nice big brand whatever purchase and a lot of people wear very trendy pieces and quickly change their fashion with the season. So you get a lot of people who wear the same things on the streets every day, right? Because I think they're kind of a part of that workaholicism, but then also like the fact that the city is very young. And so a lot of the people who are there, you know, they're at that age also where you're trying to impress other people for sake of your career and just like personally, right? And so you constantly feel that urge to where you like have to catch up with you know whatever hot trend and like show off to others yeah I don't that know if you a really good point that. I definitely like remembered thinking about that as a really big positive moving to the Bay Area and then forgot completely had forgotten about it I, I do remember I I used to buy so much more just clothing and stuff like that when I was in New York and now like people don't really care what I wear so it doesn't really matter <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's really that's liberating. I have to say, it's yeah. really liberating. And I think even for like tech companies like ours, like I still I feel like whenever I walk into the New York office, I still feel that pressure because I feel like so many of maybe not the men to be fair. I only have the women's perspective. Like you go in the elevator and you see like everyone has like the trendy bags for whatever their commuter bag. And whereas you go to like another office, even within our company, right, and you don't feel that or see that nearly to the extent. So it's it's definitely, I think, a New York bread sort of issue. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So then the other thing we kind of touched on is like, yeah, it's it's very dirty. I mean, I I think that this is definitely the dirtiest city I have lived in. And I mean that in sort of every sense of the word, because, for instance, there was obviously the bed bug scare back when I first moved to New York. It was kind of just finally getting under control. But, you know. People are still like, you have to be really careful. I'm always like super cautious if I'm like in a taxi or whatever, like just try not to, you know, touch stuff. Then like the subway was always a problem because the subway, like, I mean, I've had instances where you get on the subway and you see all sorts of stuff because they never previously washed the cars or anything. And there's obviously a lot of commuters and also a lot of homeless people who like sleep in the cars. And then a lot of people have dogs in the city too. And so anywhere you walk just on the sidewalk, um, because when they take their dogs out, like there's no like 
green grass area that they can really like go and not everyone is super conscientious about like picking up after their dog so you get a lot of waste and whatever on the street from that it is a little unpleasant and I think it varies also by what part of the city you're living in um Hell's Kitchen was definitely the worst I also lived in the Upper East and Upper East you know everywhere is sort of consistently there's going to be that base degree of kind of grunge you have to get used to but Hell's Kitchen because of its proximity also to like the Lincoln Tunnel it was also very polluted and just like really like even the air was felt really dirty and then being close to like Penn Station as well as the Port Authority Transit you tended to get like more homeless folks in those areas and therefore like on those subway trains like you tended to get more just stuff in the actual cars so interesting yeah and then I think lasting is just yeah everything's super expensive I guess rent is technically going to be cheaper than San Francisco, but I also think it, it's still a massive ripoff for what you get. And I've had buildings that, I mean, I've paid an absurd amount like for like a one bedroom and the walls are super, super thin and you can hear every step your neighbor takes upstairs. I think because there's just so many older buildings in New York, that's just an unfortunate issue as well if you're trying to save a little bit on rent. I mean, I think like you said, it is totally worth living in for a couple years I would just be ready to think about like where you want to move next after and also keep in mind that for a lot of people it is going to be really hard to stay in the city just from a pure financial perspective because I've looked at buying previously and it just does not make sense um, and specifically Manhattan because of all the fees that come along because you might purchase a say one bed or two bed and it's a million plus but then you're gonna have a monthly maintenance fee in a lot of Manhattan properties of over two thousand a month which I mean that's obviously very similar to rent at that point and so it's like how do you like it, it's very hard to make the economics work in terms of like a long-term investment in property and like having a like sustainable home in the city and so then you're stuck in the cycle of renting, which, you know, then landlords historically have had a lot of power. And so it you have like noise issues or anything like you're kind of locked and stuck where you are. And I think that's one good thing that's come out of the crisis is that finally, I think landlords are having to deal with the reality of maybe there's a lot of mispricing going on and they might have to shift towards more tenant friendly procedures. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful things will get better with the end of the with COVID. But I personally do not want to go back to New York until we do have a long term solution, just because I don't think with the nature of transportation and how crowded most offices are because of like space constraints that we're really going to land on like a good solution that doesn't put a lot of people at risk if we try to sort of quickly return to um, the city. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting, because I, I think, you know, obviously, in the last decade or so, we've seen a lot of population inflow into cities. But I think we're now seeing this trend of outflows from like the coastal cities. And if you look at sort of historical migration of people in and out of suburbs, like actually between the 1970s and 1990s, people moved out of cities into suburbs. And uh, I'd be curious to see if this sort of kicks off that trend, you know, in light of COVID and who knows what else, (laughs) you know, as people think about space and you know, everything else definitely going forward. But that being said, I, I do think there's certainly appeal to having the level of convenience you get from both of these cities, not just in terms of food and culture, but also having, you know, the diversity of job options. You know, I, I guess less so in the San Francisco area because it's more tech focused, but you definitely have way more options um, in these places and many other parts of the country. So it will be interesting to see how these plus and takes really play out as we go into 2021. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect wrap up. Um, so I think we're at the hour mark. That was it in terms of what I wanted to discuss. And I hope this was really helpful for most listeners who are either in these areas or who um, are evaluating a move to both of these cities. I know that we were pretty honest and maybe a little brutal with some of our feedback, but I think it is important to know. And I think it's like some things and topics that are unfortunately not that often discussed in terms of the reality of what life is like when you live in um, either coast. So hopefully this was helpful and please subscribe and give us a five-star review and we will 
uh, look forward to discussing again in the next episode.